the mask really represents the the whole like to rebel against the trying to sell the product as a human being. You know what I mean? Villain represents anybody. Anybody in here could wear the mask and be a villain, male, female, any race, so-called race. You know what I mean? It's about what where, where you coming from from your heart. You know what I'm saying? Like what what is the message? What you got to say? I'm Garrett McQueen. I'm Scott Blankenship. And this is Triloquy, community, clubhouses, coffin nails, and classical music. The so four called it otherwise. The four C's. <laughs> Happy New Year. Thanks, man. Great to see you on the other side here. We made it. Yeah, we did. And you made it listening. Thank you very much for being here. Excited to uh, jump off into 2021. Um, while I'm thinking about it, um, I'm starting a new Triloquy Tracks playlist. So the one that's there, I'm going to rename it Triloquy Tracks 2020 and start the new one so that we have a, a fresh start. I think we have some really great music to get the new playlist kicked off. That is a wide and deep playlist. If you haven't checked it out, go look at that. Go look. Go listen to that. Yeah. Uh, uh, support for this opus of Triloquy comes from the Illharmonic Orchestra. I just wanted to really thank them for featuring me in a testimonial. The Illharmonic Orchestra is looking for new members to expand the orchestra in this digital world. So if you want to get more information about that, just visit thephantomhiphop.com. I'll have the uh, links in the description to this. Shout out to Nathan Cohn. He uh, put Triloquy on a list of some of the things that he dug in 2020. Now check out some of the other names mentioned around Triloquy. Bob Dylan, Alicia Keys, Tiny Desk, uh, Never Rarely Film, Musical Bridge, S.A. So basically, uh, Nathan Cohn, thanks very much for the shout out. He's a curator of Cinema Tuesday series, the vice president of cultural and community engagement at TPR. He's down in San Antonio. When he put in his review that he doesn't always agree with the host, I was like, oh, my gosh, what am I saying? That's controversial. But. You know, we're going to keep it. We're going to keep it trill. You know, it's, it's easy to fall into that hole was, oh, who disagrees with me? You know, we, we all we all have those moments. But he still listens. Yeah. So and I appreciate it. So shout out to you. Thank you. Um, I also want to uh, shout out the Manhattan School of Music for sending me a nice uh, package, a little care package over the holidays. Uh, it got uh, there a little late. I, I know a lot of people were sending packages, a nice bassoon ornament and a, and a notepad that I'm using um, as my little black book, as my as my hope for a triloquy. Uh, guests of mm-hmm. uh, the Manhattan School of Music, name me and many others, um, and artist scholars. So we're in collaboration in, in different programs and panels for the rest of the school year. So if you want to get more information about that, just visit the website of the Manhattan School of Music. Uh, thank you and a big shout out uh, to y'all. I want to shout out Mike Fouts for sending me uh, a couple of records. I really appreciate. I don't. I'm going to be real. I don't know how uh, you got my address, Mike. Uh, maybe you really did some research, but thank you so much for sending me the records. I'm actually um, going to uh, feature uh, music from one of them today. So thank you so much. And uh, to close out the announcements here, I want to give a huge thank you and shout out to Dr. Kira 
Gaunt. Um, Who's that? Some of the some of the things, some of the support, some of the work that happens in the field. Scott is to the front. Um, I'm gonna, um, uh, Doctor Doctor Gaunt. You know, didn't specifically give me uh, permission to talk uh, about openly about you know the work that she did specifically um, that I'm you know just shouting her out for. But just know that there are moving parts uh, everywhere. Uh-huh. <laughs> also, uh-huh. now you know there are moving parts everywhere. You know, equity happens. Um, you know, not only on the stage. So right. And, and I'll and I'll leave it at that. The cold open uh, we're going to talk about a little bit here in the first movement came from the late MF Doom, um, a rapper, a producer, an artist whose death really shook the hip hop world, and and, a, and an artist, a composer, I'll say, who I want to uh, put y'all on to. So, uh, with all that said, let's jump into the first movement. So, Scott, one of my New Year's resolutions is to always check my accidental. So I'm going to start the new year off right by beginning with a sharp. A little uh, quick shout out here. Um, I'm reading from Leafly.com. Illinois officials say they've expunged 500,000 cannabis convictions. So aside from in addition to this, of course, uh, being the the so-called classical music podcast, we uh, we affirm cannabis here on this podcast. So I thought it was really exciting for me to see this news and for me to share it with everybody. I'll read a little bit from the article here. Um, I'm uh, quoting it here. It says we will never be able and they're quoting uh, the folks in uh, Illinois. We will never be able to fully remedy the depth of that damage. Uh, Pritzker said, of course, the damage of mass incarceration as it mm-hmm. applies to cannabis. Uh, he goes on to say, but we can govern with the courage to admit the mistakes of our past and the decency to set a better path forward. Now that obviously is great news, but to me, the next step would then be getting the people who want to get into the legal industry, hmm. give them a leg up somehow, a loan a, um, uh, or a grant. Yeah. Um, some sort of special dispensation to turn it into a career rather than have it, you know, hanging over your head, that record, you know. And even the folks who don't want to go into cannabis specifically, giving them the foundation to make up for that time no, loss that's what dealing yeah. with y'all, yeah, you yeah, know, yeah, even yeah. if it is a cannabis. Yeah, right. but but we're, we're moving. I can't wait for Minnesota to get its act together. Wisconsin I, will go before we will. I'm smoking either way, so it really doesn't matter. Um Sharp, and again, these are just really quick ones here. So, <laughs> no, a quick, good memory. So, a, a quick little flat. Last time we talked about the stimulus, and by when we recorded, things weren't you know settled yet. Well, since the last time the stimulus has come out, um, if you want me to cite a source, as I said before, we turn the mics on, Scott. Everybody, look at your checking account. It is not the two thousand that we hope for. No. I was going to talk about this. Really get Mitch McConnell together in the triloquy. It's, I decided that it's it's not really even worth it because there's something bigger that we need uh, to address in the fourth movement here. But that motherfucker, what what is he losing for us to have a little bit of money to keep ourselves together in, in the middle of a Panera? That's a great question because I can't figure what it is, out. Like, is he getting a check? Help! I'll, sometimes I want to say, help me understand why you would do that. This came out after we shut off the microphones talking with Katie and Delaney, but all of these people... Oh, the guests who, for today. We didn't say that in the announcement. All Sorry. Of, okay, so we're <laughs> yeah. covering Shout that. out to Katie and Delaney. But all of these people who are talking about election issues or fraud or it's a rigged election, Mitch McConnell has 18% favorability and only 40% of the people who are eligible to vote in his district actually vote. So to me, it sounds like they should be looking down in that area 
as to what sort of suppression movements are going on. They already tagged his house, so... Yeah, Pelosi got it too. Thoughts and, thoughts and prayers. Thoughts and prayers, right? Well, <laughs> thoughts anyway. I'm, you I'm thinking about it. Not even the prayers. <laughs> I'm, I'm thinking about it. Okay, and then, you know, in even worse news, I'll say we got the remix to COVID running around here. As of today, as we're recording, uh, the man over in England, I always forget his Boris name. Boris Johnson. Boris Johnson. I'm reading here from independent.co.uk. Um, it says here, uh, it comes as government figures today reveal the UK has reached another record daily high of over 58,000 new coronavirus cases, making this the seventh consecutive day in a row there uh, have been over 50,000 new cases uh, across Britain. So they, of course, that's a smaller population, a smaller island, but they're already seeing how new COVID, COVID-2 is really ravaging. And we're over here thinking, oh, well, that's their problem. It'll never come over here. This is the day before tomorrow. I feel like <laughs> the day it, before, it the is, day after, the, it is, whatever. It is. It's the day after yesterday. <laughs> yeah. Um, if you look, uh, you, you don't have to look very hard online to find New Year's Eve parties where people were jam-packed into rooms, mm. maskless, uh, listening to Vanilla Ice. Um, <laughs> perform live. So <laughs> we, we don't learn lessons, mm, do mm. we? Okay, so what is, Jan what is the end of January going to look like? Because they said that the surge that we're on now is the Thanksgiving right. runoff. So we haven't even seen the New Year's breakdown right. yet. You know, the yeah, New Year's so spread. That's going to be ugly. So people, wear your mask, stay at home if you can. Nothing has changed. Coronavirus is still out here. So whatever. Um, to wrap up these little uh, quick shots here at the beginning of, of us taking our uh, checking our accidentals, I'm going to put a sharp next to this, Scott. So on Halloween, on October 31st, the world lost uh, a rapper and producer um, known as MF Doom. Mm -hmm. The family kept it uh, a secret, kept it co close to the vest until December 31st. That's when uh, it was announced and the world sort of figured out. Um, I felt that it was really important for me to mention it here because of how esteemed, you know, he is in that world. I'll uh, recall right now Nipsey Hussle. When he passed away, I wasn't the most familiar with right. his legacy. Now I am, you know, because I saw the impact that was there. It's the same with um, MF Doom. I'm reading here from Revolt.tv. This New Year's Eve, the hip-hop community received some very shocking news that caused a lot of fan sadness as they got ready to finally bring in the year 2021. It was confirmed on MF Doom's official social media accounts that the rapper passed away on October 31st, 2020, though the announcement was revealed two months later on Thursday, December 31st. So, you know, I, I've done some reading and done some listening um, on uh, on this artist, uh, put a lot of music out there that uh, uh, spoke to identity, uh, to aesthetic. Uh, the piece of music that I'm going to share doesn't even uh, have lyrics. But of course, the most iconic part of it all was the mask that he wore. And I, I think you can speak to uh, the character that, that Dr. inspired Dr. Doom. Yeah, because I don't know anything about that comic book yeah. history. Mostly in the Fantastic Four, but he, he showed up in Spider-Man too. Talk about uh, the, the spirit of Dr. Doom. What, what kind of character was he? I, I don't know much about him. I didn't read that book. Oh, I, I all, all efforts to make a Fantastic Four movie have failed. Mm. It's tough. Well, I don't know. No, he's just, he's just a general baddie. 
Yeah, as as was as was MF Doom. Uh, you know the 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 long, and I, I encourage everyone if you don't know who this is to go out and watch some YouTube videos about him. The long and short of it, um, he's he started with the group uh, in a record label. The record label thing didn't quite go the way they thought it would. He thought it would. Took his career into his own hands, reinvented himself with this mask. You know, we heard from MF Doom um, in the in the cold open. You know, talking about you know where where some of this stuff comes from and uh, if you listen to his music I think you can hear how it's reverberated to an extent even to what the all the lulls in hip-hop mm-hmm. are, uh, are are doing today uh, the piece of music I wanted to share by MF Doom in honor of him um, is one called Coffin Nails it comes from a collection of produced tracks uh, without without words without lyrics with each track being named after a, a different herb well, cotton nails is uh, coffin nails is the one exception. When you uh, hear the phrase coffin nails, Scott, what sort of musical aesthetic would you expect to be connected to that? Well, probably <laughs> coffin nails, like some twangy country and western, like old school. Oh, okay. You know, like the the Texas burial. Sure. You know the Texas burial, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah. Buried alive. Is that what that is? Right. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, I would think more of the the creepy, the scary, maybe the the voodoo of it all. You know, considering black sure. spiritualism and that sort of thing. Um, but I think the tune has a you know we listened to it over dinner has a a real beautiful chill vibe that you know I want to share here. So rest in peace, rest in power to MF Doom. Here's a little bit of his track called Coffin Nails. As we were listening to that, I was sitting and thinking, you know, I could tell this guy's about my age. You know, his references and his, you know, the things that he would throw in were, you know, from my halcyon days, mm-hmm. you know, the days that I remember late 80s, early 90s. Yeah. I could tell that he was a, a, a more mature artist. Yeah. <laughs> and in, uh, I think, what, in 70 years, his music will be public domain. 75. Right? 75 years. So. Yeah. Talk to us a little bit, Scott, uh, in this new year about uh, the new things that are now public domain. First of all, what is public domain? What do we mean when we say that? Oh, that's a great question, because uh, I think that a lot of people give, you know, slivers of what it means. And so it gets diluted. But essentially what it comes down to is um, material that is free for you to use. You can take it, you can uh, change it, expand on it, arrange it. Um, make it your own somehow or mm-hmm. use it as your influence or whatever. Uh, and there's just a, um, once it goes into that fair use, the free to use category, um, you don't have to worry about paying any sort of money to be able to use it. If you get now, caught, because well, let's be honest, and there the are, folks do. And there are people out there that are, you know, soldiers making, yeah. making plenty of money. Mm-hmm. I ran into that with Hop Notes and Strauss's Did music. You? Yeah, somebody heard, heard that it was. That I used a little bit of Strauss. We'll and get I, to Strauss in a minute. Right. But 
No, what I'm saying is yeah. that there's people out there doing it. And right. uh, also, it changed. It was 75 years, and then there was some legislation that came out, I think it was in the late 1990s, that it extended it to 95 years. Oh, wow. So, and 95 years, again, to be clear, after the death of the that's artist. Right. That's right. So um, there's a whole bunch of of creators from 1925 that are going to now be out there and free to use. Among them is Duke Ellington. Mm -hmm. I uh, retweeted the other day uh, from the Twitter account, Composers Doing Normal Shit, (laughs) of Duke Ellington sitting in the bed with not one or two, but four tubs of ice cream. He probably had a hard day on stage that night. Four tubs. (laughs) That's how I'd do it. Had the the covers pulled up over his uh, chesticles, as I say, you know, (laughs) because when you're getting comfy in bed. Shout out to the late Duke Ellington. You know, I'm excited to see his music come into public domain because I'm excited to see the arrangements of his music, you know, because it's, you know, I guess another thing we should make clear, it's one thing for a composition to be public domain, that does not mean recordings of that composition are under copyright protections, you know. Right. Uh, There was a a couple of other things that it does that I was not aware of that I thought was pretty interesting because... um, Uh, Let me read a little bit of this article from NPR.org. It says, while the most successful creators often leave behind legal estates to manage and care of their famous books, plays, operas, and so forth, some aren't so lucky. So, for example, uh, a lot of the estates from 1925 were not benefiting from these copyright protections whatsoever. Mm. Okay, so it really wouldn't have mattered if they were there. But um, one of the things that they're hoping this does is keep certain things out there in the public eye so that they don't fall away because they oh, say, sure. they cite uh, it's a wonderful life seeing as how it is not uh, since it's in public domain it can be played several times a day on All low day. yeah and it, lo- and it becomes part of the fabric yeah you know of our of our heritage mm-hmm. so so they're hoping that the, and I thought that was a really good point. Yeah. That, the, and that movie is problematic, by the way. But no, well, that's record. that's not what I'm talking about. <laughs> I know. Uh, just mainly, for the mainly referring to this idea of um, coming out from under this "quote unquote" copyright protection mm-hmm. being more beneficial to keeping right. it around rather oh. than less. So yeah. That's that. Yeah, that's really interesting. Yeah. I'm sure there are a lot of uh, so-called classical, Western classical pieces by some the of these more obscure composers. Yeah, that, that we don't know that now more folks are going to you know, be open to. Right. I mentioned um, Ellington because, uh, as we talked about before, uh, we cut on the mics and all that, one of these composers, um, not classical jazz, whatever, but just affirmed good music and and bad music, so-called bad music. So when I think when folks start making these arrangements and exploring what can be done with orchestras and small ensembles with his music, I think we're really going to see Ellington up there as one of the uh, Mount Rushmore mm. level American composers. I think so too. Ellington is up. He needs to be up there, obviously above Copeland and Gershwin and all, but certainly up there. And I think we're we have the opportunity to see more of that with his music coming into the public domain. Fats Waller, Bessie Smith, um, those coming out too. Man, and all these all these authors too. Mm. It's huge. Nineteen twenty five was a good year. 
What uh, what website are you? What what website are you reading? From? Oh, that just from npr.org. Okay. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, we'll link that if you want to check out everything that's uh, public domain for you to do what you can with public domain. So, things. what accidental uh, would you assign to that? Uh, I give that a sharp because yeah. I think it's exciting. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. Here's a little bit. I thought COVID appropriate. You know, we're being a little bit on the nose here. Give you a, a an arrangement, a quartet arrangement of an Ellington tune called "Don't Get Around Much Anymore." So, Scott, I felt like we would be remiss if we didn't at least bring up one of those long-cherished traditions this time of year in so-called classical music and Western classical music, Mm -hmm. the Vienna New Year's Day concert. Mm -hmm. What do you you know about this concert generally? If someone has no idea what we're talking about, what is it? It is a Strauss Fest. Go on. Isn't it? Right? Go on. Okay, so it happens every New Year's Day. The Vienna Philharmonic puts together their best waltzes, uh, uh, polkas, mazurkas, troikas, and all that. Mm-hmm. And it is broadcast for a fee, I think. Uh, we the At the station that I cut my teeth at, we didn't have any money to, to uh, afford the equipment to bring the signal down. So we had to wait until the next year's recording came out. So if uh, yeah, we wouldn't be playing. We wouldn't be playing the 2021 New Year's concert until 22. Oh. <laughs> a year. Well, it takes a while to transfer, right, or something like that. <laughs> For the I, CD to come out. I thought about it at the last minute, and I uh, tweeted about it. And uh, uh, Josh Spiro over at FT Magazine said he cut it off for 15 minutes and cut it right back off. Apparently, a lot of people were dragging uh, Ricardo Muti, who who led the performance. My thing. I'm going to oh, go, go out there and say that I didn't. I didn't even know that Muti. I didn't know moody was still alive yeah yeah so shout out ricardo moody shout shout out to life you made it you made it to 2021 a lot three hundred thousand americans didn't you know Mm. um i'm reading here from spectator.co.uk after decades of whitewashing its history the orchestra has come half clean under pressure in the past few years, but you don't have to scratch very deep to find enduring Nazi legacies. Mm. Carl Bum, a brilliant conductor, but not a very bright man, used to say that, quote, the Nazis aren't that bad. They want to eliminate women from politics. Many in the Vienna Philharmonic would agree with that. So I'm reading, I read What that, year was that from? That uh, This is from 27, 2014. I read... Oh, my God. I thought you were reading from, like, 1940. No, no, no. But oh but still, that, does that make it better? Does, it, that, does that make it better? It makes it worse. <laughs> um, so I read that excerpt. So the New Year's Day concert, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to link this, is directly tied to eliminating people who you don't want in classical music in that part of the world as a celebration for that first year. Anyway, there was a new year's concert Mm. and over the years it came back and back. Now we can say, well, people are better. You, you, you can't connect it. People aren't thinking about that anymore with the new year's day concert. I have heard Scott with my own ears, people 
from that part of the world, musicians saying when we critique the Vienna Philharmonic traditionally for not having women on stage, um, as soon as that critique comes anywhere near the New Year's Day concert, the rhetoric is, well, this is something purely Austrian. Could you imagine someone Asian or black representing Austria on one of our most important concerts of the year? So, you know, it's connected to the racism originally, is perpetuated by the racism. How long do they have? Well, when are we going to get that out of here? Is it their country? Is it Europe? I guess we need to mind our American business. I'm but. just sitting here wanting to know what person of color is going to want to play that concert. Then. Well, I mean, what do we do when right? they? What do we do when they say, "Well, we need to be diverse. Let's hire such and such. Let's hire Sheku Kane Mason to play a concerto with us." To show them that we're not racist anymore. Now, what is Sheku Kane Mason going to do? They go right over there, isn't he? Mm-hmm. I don't know. I don't know. Sheku. Well, I guess, yeah, I guess we shouldn't assume, but that's. Look! Look at the material. Look at what we've been given. Look at look at the field. Look at the ecosystem. Okay. So, just so y'all know, I uh, <laughs> I have to say though that like an hour and a half is a lot of Strauss. It's a lot of the Strauss family. And know, and I I appreciate my waltz and my mazurka well, and all that. Sure, for an hour and a half. Not for an hour and a half. And then when you're talking about the respectability of classical music over in Germany, we mm. don't you know. It, where I'm sure the the things that you have to fight against all of those all of those status quos are even more embedded, right? But, Did I read somewhere that they piped in applause? Yes. So it's COVID. <laughs> you know, it's still COVID. Right. And uh, and I and I said on Twitter, I want that applause track. Is that <laughs> is that a is that open is that free use is that fair use? <laughs> I imagine you could probably buy like the rights, pra- like for practice sessions, have applause at the end. Sure, you could find that. <laughs> I bet you could find that. So let me tell you the little rabbit hole, and we're, and this is the last thing for checking our accidentals. The New Year's concert, I'll give it a natural because that's how Europe is, mm. right? And and like I said, look at the material. So the, this is the rabbit hole I went down thinking about this earlier today. The New Year's concert, as problematic as it is, is a showcase of waltzes, which is 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 really cute if it's done well, you mm-hmm. know, in the in the orchestral sense. So I was like, well, wait a minute. What if I see if someone wrote like a black waltz or a Negro waltz? So after a little bit of searching and a bit of listening, I found my way to an American composer named Mortimer Wilson. Do you know that name? At I don't. All? Uh, he was an old film composer mainly of of those old films uh, in the 20th century, um, but wrote a piece of music called Waltz of the Negro Dolls. Now, this man is not black. So my instant thing was, okay, so this is problematic. What, who knows what's connected? The recording it's on also has music by Daniel Bernard Romain. I don't know if you know who he is. He's a contemporary... He's a contemporary composer, violinist. He's out here protesting for, you know, a black violinist out here protesting on the ground for us. Uh, did a did a sit in with his violin last year. So if if he is connected to this recording and the legacy of this composer, I'm going to trust it for now. I might have to come. I hope I don't have to come back and eat my words. I hope this man, Mortimer Wilson, is not so being racist. But <laughs> oh, no. as opposed to giving light to the Strauss waltzes, I thought we would getting to the second movement here by putting on putting folks on to this piece of music called Waltz of the Negro Dolls music by Mortimer Wilson
it's a shame that we have to be nervous about a piece of music called Waltz of the Negro Dolls written by a white composer because we don't know where he was coming from with it. We don't know the shade, right. you know, right. despite despite the fact if it's a beautiful piece of music, a nice piece of music and equitable. Ooh, anyway, I don't know. I just thought <sighs> it was good to put folks put folks on that again. I hope I don't have to come back <laughs> and eat my words, but, but it's, a, it's a new piece. The title isn't problematic, though, right? Dance of the Negro. Well, I don't know what dolls meant, maybe in a certain community or culture. Because I'm sitting here going, not gollywogs, though, right? <laughs> oh, oh, my goodness. That's probably what it is, isn't it? I'm sorry. I don't I, know. <laughs> I, see, look at, look at you getting me together. <laughs> look, look at me needed to do my, because I forgot all about the gollywogs. I don't, are we cussing right now, by the way, by even saying that? Psh- <laughs> I guess we're going to find out next week. <laughs> anyway. Um, we'll find out Wednesday. So getting this uh, second movement started, uh, strike a core pieces of music that moved us this week. I want to uh, once again shout out Mike Fout. So he sent me two records. Uh, one was piano music uh, performed by Andre Watts. I'm going to have you talk about Andre Watts a little bit later. But the other was a vinyl of performances uh, by the Greater Sabathany Baptist Church Uh, mass choir over in Minneapolis. I looked up this recording on the internet and couldn't really find anything. Mm -hmm. And one person uploaded two of the tracks that are on the vinyl onto YouTube, but it looks like this is some sort of, I won't, maybe I should call it an artifact. I don't know, but there aren't other recordings of the performances on this vinyl that I have found. So I was it's like, definitely a rarity for sure. Yeah. So huge shout out to that uh, church. I, I hope it's still a church. I need to maybe get in my car and drive by and, and see what the building is looking like. I don't mm. know, but um, I put the record on, you know, just cleaning the house or whatever, uh, getting, getting through the record, seeing what's on there. And at the end of track one was a tune that I know very well. And I have to tell a quick story to, to frame this. So I went to summer prep school at Phillips Exeter Academy up in New Hampshire and folks from all around the world, all around the country and all around the world are there. You're meeting rich kids from Saudi Arabia. That was where my roommate was from. Mm-hmm. Folks from South Korea, France, folks from Colorado and Southern California and a few of us from the South. So there were about 10 or 11 students at Phillips Exeter when I was there who were black. We were uh, mostly from the South, I think some East Coast folks. So we came together and formed a group and would have fun because we like to be among each other and speak our own language. Right. Um, so toward the end of the session at Phillips Exeter, there was a presentation of world culture. So everyone there coming together and doing something that's traditional to where you come from for everyone to partake in. In honor of the spiritual South, the group of black folks expanded and found some other students who were interested in participating in a gospel choir to represent the spiritual South in that perform uh, in that presentation. Hmm. And the tune that uh, the, the leaders decided to teach everyone was one called Going Up Yonder. All of the black church people recognize this as a classic, a classical piece of music when it comes to gospel, a composition um, made famous by Tremaine Hawkins, written by Walter um, Hawkins, that was on this album. There's a version, there's a very famous version of uh, of it, a recording out there that most folks know. Mm-hmm. But to hear this rendition of it that is so unique and see, not one of a kind, but not an everyday find, listening to that, thinking back to my days at Phillips Exeter, it really reminded me of 
what music can do, especially when you haven't listened to something in a while and it just instantly bring back, brings back that memory. It's something to live in the moment, your current moment with a piece of music. It's another thing for a piece of music to take you back to something that you hadn't thought about in forever. So was, yeah. there, was there a year printed on that release? I need to I need to look. I know the song itself uh, was written in the 70s and that that's when it became famous, but I need to take another look at that record because the recording was pretty good. Oh yeah, you, you know, listen to if, it, yeah. If they did it in the church, mm-hmm. you know, that's that was pretty good. I was well impressed. And of course, when you add seasoning and the spirit sure. to the music, mm-hmm. where can you go wrong? Amen. Amen. <laughs> Amen lights. I, <laughs> so as I've been rambling on about here, I couldn't find it digitally. I put the record on and put my cell phone next to it. So here's a little bit of Going Up Yonder as performed by the Greater Sabathany Baptist Church Mass Choir. Shout out to this tune, bringing back so many memories. And once again, shout out to Mike Faust for sending this vinyl to me. Thank you very much. I love, loved unlocking these memories. Let me also tell you really quickly, Scott, during that summer session at Phillips Exeter, there was something called the Polar Bear Club. So you could go get on one of the school buses at 5 a.m. They would drive you to the beach where the water is ice cold, even in the summer up there in New England. But we would all do it. And that would be the way you wake up in X, Y and Z on the way back from the Polar Bear Club on the way back to campus every morning. These kids, these white boys started singing some song that I had never heard by the end of the session. Everyone on the bus knew every word, knew the melody. I was even singing along, and I still didn't really know what it was. This was when I was in prep school, 2003, 2004. Maybe 10 years later, 11 years later, I'm playing with the Detroit Symphony Orchestra, and we have an arrangement of a tune called Bohemian Rhapsody. Uh, And I know every word to this song. Why? (laughs) Phillips Exeter Academy, the school bus (laughs) on the way back from from the beach. Shout out to those kids who wanted to bus bus sing Bohemian Rhapsody every morning at 5:30 a.m. <laughs> but anyway, what 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 music you got for us? I have two different regions that I'm pulling from. Uh, we're going to talk about Andre Watts um, and the Scriabin Sonata that I want to play for you. Really focuses quick precision, this quick fire, dizzying sort of. Um, Trill, I guess, that he does. Mm-hmm. At, oh, yeah, at, at there points, we are. Right. He said the name of the show in the show. <laughs> yeah, so we had to, have to clap. <laughs> so um, I, I first want to talk about Cornelius. Do you know Keigo Oyamada? Mm-mm, no. Okay, so he's a Japanese artist who performs under the name Cornelius. And the track that I played for you earlier is called If You're Here. And it's an exercise it's the opposite end of the spectrum from the Scriabin, I think. It's an exercise in trying to maintain a slow tempo. Now, you said that you had a reaction that you were trying to 
can you just tell me again well, what when you, you said? played the song for me i heard the first bit of music the first bit of sound the second bit and i was like oh wow it's this low of a tempo so even in my mind you have to give yourself the patience to three and four and you know it's so he really does and that's probably fat what i just said is probably faster a, than a the little actual bit tempo. <laughs> maybe and he sort of slowly adds on to it and builds it out, adds instruments. Uh, he sings, and there is a great guitar line in there that I absolutely love. That's when the song really opens, really pops. Um, no slop at all. And he is able to just build this amazing, I'm going to call it a tapestry. Here's my problem that I want you to talk a little bit more about, because when you go to his Wikipedia page, part of his description is the modern day Brian Wilson, the Japanese Beck. Hmm. All I know about Beck is that he stole that Grammy from Beyonce a few years ago for album of the year. So he's a white guy <laughs> in America. <laughs> and why... Is there this need to sort of qualify an artist based through some Western white lens? What what's our top stamp at? I'm 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 leaving space. I'm leaving space for your answer. I appreciate your you you know the answer to that. And I most do, of the people but I listen to this know the answer to that. But some we're might so not. used to framing things in that white lens. That's why my number one pet peeve in classic on the classical side is what am I about to say? The black Mozart. Chevalier de Saint George. Why we have to stop doing that. And I think if we get into the practice of not doing that, when it even when it comes to artists like Cornelius, we'll get used to not doing it historically either. We gotta we gotta break it down. We gotta break that out. Check out Cornelius and listen to hey, there's radar. And uh listen to him play all slow <laughs> and keep it together. Yeah. But uh yeah, if you're here is the name of that track. Um, so you're going to talk a little bit about, so you, you talked about that being so slow. We're, we're, uh, wrapping up the, uh, second movement here with a piece of music that goes very fast. That's performed by Andre Watts. Mm -hmm. uh, we're bringing him up because that was the other vinyl that Mike sent me. Andre Watts playing the music of lists. Listen to that fine playing, of course, but you met. It was great. great. It was so great. Talk about that real quick. Yeah, he was going to uh, play with the Minnesota Orchestra, and I had the chance to go over and do uh, the interview so that we could put together a package for uh, the live concert. And I just happened to have a poster, a promotional poster from the Tuesday Musical Concert Series in Omaha. He played that in the late 80s, mm -hmm. you know, and the picture of him, you know, he was dashing and you know young looking at baby fro right and so <laughs> i pulled that out and i said you know i hope you wouldn't mind you know a little celebrity here i'd like to you know a little relic of your past and have you sign it and he was blown away and started to recount all these stories from going through omaha and playing the different uh areas around but really where, where he loved to play was brownville nebraska tiny little river town 
that has uh, uh, an old church that's now a music venue, you know, and so a lot of wood, a lot mm-hmm. of really old wood, and the acoustics in there are amazing. Mm-hmm. And he loves to play that little hall. Um, but this is a guy that he has his career because of Glenn Gould's illness. You know, um, he said he talked about Leonard Bernstein, uh, you know, coming to get him to sub in for the concert mm-hmm. and essentially saying, hey, kid, here's a career. You want it? You know, so shout that, out to Leonard Bernstein being an accomplice right. for somebody black. And, um, you know, he's just recently he was supposed to play with the Minnesota Orchestra last year, but he had surgery on his neck and back and uh, was still recovering from that. And the, the my favorite part, the realest part, Garrett, of the interview was at the end because I wanted to talk to him about how he really emotes when he plays, you can see it on his face and sometimes he'll vocalize, you know, tears or or he'll hum along or something like that. And I asked him about it. You know, where do you go? I w- I'm trying to understand it on the level that you're understanding it. And he got very embarrassed because he said, I know, I know I make all these strange faces and I, you know, I don't have any control over it and everything. And I'm saying, no, Andre, that's that's the best part. You know, it's an it's that's a measure of investment for me. Yeah. So take a minute here and listen to this technique, F- quick fire, fast pace, crisp technique in this Scriabin Sonata in A major. You describe his playing as nimble sometimes, right. and I think you you can really hear that in a really fun way in that Scriabin, and the way Andre Watts plays uh, so nimbly at the at the keys. It's there. not easy. Yeah, we're gonna listen to a uh, one more of Scott's Andre Watts picks to get us into the third movement. But before we do that, I wanted to just forward uh, promote this week's guests one more time. Uh, they were featured in Opus Two, I believe, of <laughs> Triloquy. That's right, of season one. Yeah, they came back uh, about a year ago um, last year, and uh, they're back this week again. Uh, Katie Brown and Delaney. Harris, co-host of the Classically Black podcast. I wanted to bring them on um, because they have both founded a new organization, the International Institute, the International Society, rather, (laughs) and I mess it up in the interview, too, the International Society for Black Musicians. So what this is, this is a group, I'm on the leadership team for it, that's bringing black musicians together. So in this conversation, we talk about that. We talk about black spaces. There's a new social media out there called Clubhouse that Delaney Delaney and I are breaking into trying to get uh, these conversations surrounding racial equity and classical music into non-classical black spaces. Uh, we talk about Katie being a vegan. We we laugh <laughs> about that. Um, and uh, I started. We started the conversation, Scott, because we saw them about a year ago uh, at Sphinx. I wanted to uh, get their feedback on what they thought Sphinx might look like this year because we can't all convene and be there in the spirit of diversity. So um, that's where we got. So um, I just wanted to um, do a quick introduction of them, Scott, before you uh, transition us 
with this next performance by Andre Watts? Well, there's still a nimble aspect to his recording of Miroir. Is that the uh, Mirrors by Maurice Ravel? Like in France, in right. French? Miroir. Thanks. My French <laughs> sucks. But um, there is a, a, a combination of that crisp, nimble, um, invested technique. But you know how Ravel composed Mm -hmm. you know there the 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 timing was sort of loosey-goosey right so sort of looking at the piece by cornelius that i brought in here's sort of like the classical piano version of that that andre plays this is wajo triste and this is garrett's conversation with katie and delaney It's hard for me to say, <laughs> um, just because it's hard for me to anticipate anything really going down in classical music, just because of how how often people tiptoe around issues like this. Um, I think that the episode that we did of Classically Black after this was, it might have been right after George Floyd's uh, memorial service. Um, it was the episode that you know it was a very emotional time katie and i were both very transparent about the fact that we did not even want to be on those mics at that time um but that was an episode where we really tried to bring our listeners into the fact that we are dealing with this just as black people you know uh classical music aside all of that at the end of the day before i was a bass player i was a black woman and after i laid the bass down for the last time i would still be a black woman so i think um a lot of people, a lot of people get caught up in this toxic positivity in classical music, as in, you know, music is going to deliver us all, and it's it's gonna save the day, and and music will will connect all of us. And the reality is, music is not gonna do shit for me if I have twelve bullet holes in my back. You know, that's really just the the um, the long and short of it all. And I just I have not yet experience those uh conversations in settings um that are not like like small intimate settings with like-minded black musicians um i haven't experienced that sort of truth telling outside of that yet that's not to say it won't happen this year but um we'll see i'll have i definitely have my finger on the pulse of what's going on over there so i'll be listening what about you katie yeah, I'm I'm trying to put my words together so I don't say the wrong thing. You know, I can't edit it out this time. But um, <laughs> Scott <can>. um <laughs> it's what I what I've learned um this past year in classical music is that you can't expect too much from classical music, and and that goes the same for Sphinx. You know what I'm saying? This is such an important year with everything that's happened. And it's going to... This is important year with everything that's happened. And, you know, Black people have specific problems in relation to the pandemic, in relation to classical music, in relation to what's happening with Black people in this country. And the, that that's specific wording. And 
it's a specific agenda and it gets clouded in this POC conversation. It gets clouded in respectability politics. It gets, and class communication is really good at that. It's really good at keeping that up. So to be completely frank, I don't expect a lot. You know what I'm saying? And I feel like, I don't know. I'm not even, I'm not even like a pessimistic person by nature. I'm, I'm pretty optimistic. But in regards to this being such an important time where like so many people who claim that they want diversity and inclusion, so many people are going to be in these spaces, probably for it to be glossed over. That's kind of like what I'm going in um, and, and ready to see and hoping that, you know, maybe, maybe something else will be different, but that's kind of like what I'm going in. Cause I see, I've been here long enough to know that that's probably what's going to happen. So we'll uh, hopefully that some, something better comes of that. What Katie has said before, like a lot of times we have these conversations and we, we state that these things are an issue and that we want to, we want to get over it and, and we want to overcome these issues. And then if people are like, Oh man, that was, that was tiring. And want to go get lunch. And it's just like, <laughs> like that I've been in so many rooms like that, where it's like, and talking about it is tiring. And by the way, y'all not paying black people for their emotional labor. So I just don't, which one is it? But mm-hmm. um, yeah, I just, I'm hoping to to see us uh move past that this yeah. year and of course yeah, one one oh go ahead go ahead i was like i don't think these institutions are ready for the kind of work i think they're just kind of at the black square still and probably will be there for a while before we get to where we need to get to i just feel like even if, if we had like remarkable conversations these institutions want to program what they want to program they want to hire who they want to hire they want to do these things and no one's holding them accountable for it you know so we i feel like it's like a you have to you have to be in charge i, I don't want to be like i don't want to be like you know i don't want to lower the mood but i'm just saying like you have to be <laughs> like in charge of these in charge in these spaces to make significant difference and i feel like a lot of people are toying the line with but we don't want to be too black and we don't we don't want to do too much and we don't want to make it like a political thing and we don't make it a black thing so about yeah i don't white, i don't know so. literally so <laughs> And of course, throw, throwing all of those uh, respectability politics and, and X, Y, and Z out of the window, I'm sure was one of the impetuses for starting the International Society for Black Musicians. So we're going to talk about that here in a few minutes. But before we got into the real business, Katie, I wanted you to um, update the people, you know, again, since last year, if they aren't regular uh, classically black listeners, on how it's been going for you down in my hometown of Memphis, Tennessee. You know what I'm saying? I'm over here in Memphis, you know? Um, I I don't know how the year was going to go, like many people. And I, I've been very vocal about my, my classical music journey and my struggles in classical music. Like, I feel like I have to remind myself that my struggles are unique sometimes. But um, yeah, I got a fellowship with the Memphis Symphony Orchestra back in June. And I've been here since August. And yeah, it's kind of like surreal. I haven't, I realized like, you know you have a fellowship girl i gotta tell myself that because like <laughs> i've been working for something like this for for something to break for so long that it almost doesn't feel real like i'll be in rehearsals like how did you even get here you know so and also it's been so much like with doing this within the pandemic it's been like so much going around that i don't even have time to take it in like i just be going to rehearsals and you go to this you go to this and you have to learn this music it's like i don't even have time to like take it in i feel like it, if it wasn't under normal circumstances but like yeah i'm really enjoying my time i'm i feel like 
if anything, I'm out of the the northern, like out of the north. You know what I'm saying? Because living in Rochester will traumatize you. Like I see snow and I flinch. You know, like it snowed two days ago in Chicago, and I I left today, and I was like, I gotta go. Let's let's keep driving south <laughs> because it snow. I mean, you know, you Minnesota. It snows every day in Rochester from literally November to March every day and it's it's just traumatized i can't do it anymore so if, if anything i'm happy to be happy to be here for that <laughs> and then of course shout out to uh kalina bovell assistant director down there member Period. of the triloquy family so a huge shout out to her what tickles me katie is that you got a fellowship in one of the blackest cities in the country one of the barbecuest cities in the country and you're down there talking about being a vegan <clears throat> No. And I know that I know vegan in Memphis. I know that veganism is really growing within black communities. When I started hearing about the rappers being vegans, I was like, mm -hmm. oh, okay, so something something must be happening. I love how you'll go to Family Dollar and show that you can be vegan here or X, Y, and Z. But I know in the same way that introducing and engaging black folk with classical music, so-called classical music, engaging them with a plate of grass must also be challenging. <laughs> Girl, you should see my face when I told I'm not vegan, but you should see my face when I told my grandma I didn't use real butter anymore. She looked at me like I had three ears. <laughs> <laughs> it um yeah, it's I would say, listen, no shades in Memphis, you know, I have grown to love the 901, but it is not the best vegan city. I'm I'm coming from Rochester, even though it was small, it was a foodie place, you know. So being here, there's not there's like one vegan spot exclusively vegan spot here so um and i the similarities between being a black vegan and being a, cla a black classical musician are very similar um and that like you tend when it comes to being a black vegan first of all i celebrated kwanzaa for the first time this year i had a blast now one of the days i did a feast i did a feast on kumba because the i didn't want to do it yeah i didn't want to do i don't want to you know, my, my family does New Year's Day dinner, so I didn't want to, like, do that. So it's I'm the one pushing the Kwanzaa agenda. I'm the one, you know what I'm saying, doing everything. So I'm going to cook everything. And I know how to, you know, I have a YouTube channel. I know how to, I know how to, so I made everything seven, like, there was, like, eight things there. Everything's vegan. My family sat down two minutes in. So where's the meat? And I'm like, well, you know what this was. You knew what it was. My uncle had made chicken wings for lunch. I'm talking about, like, six hours before they were like go warm that up <laughs> like, go go warm that up and uh it's good but it needs me so it's like it doesn't come it's it's um it's a struggle but i think you're right like a lot of people a lot of a lot of famous black people have been like oh go vegan da, da, da. so i think that helps the conversation a lot and one thing about what i noticed about black people is that they support other black people so Period. when there's this one of my favorite vegan restaurants ever is called new vegan cafe it's in dc they got two locations and one of them is like a block from howard right so i go in there and it's packed it's it's black it's like soul food vegan soul food right it's packed i'm like i know all these people is not vegan they got a, they got student discounts they got all this stuff it's packed out and it's like the same thing happens with slutty vegan down in atlanta it's like black people want to support black things and then when you're like oh this is vegan oh snap so they're ready to try stuff with the right to tab with the brown this year as well people want to be like hey what's this vegan stuff cardi b posted like a sandwich on her thing and people want to know where you got that from like so um 
black people are willing to try being vegan and also there's like i forgot the exact number i think it's either one or like three percent of people are vegan period in america but eight percent of black people are vegan Mm. you know so they it's like black black people want to try stuff they want to and also i think with the more education be like this stuff affects us more like diabetes affects us more high blood pressure affects us more and it's like black people want to like how can we undo that well i'm gonna go vegan and i'm not saying that if you don't if you're not vegan you are susceptible to those things that's not what i'm saying but i'm just saying that people who have certain things running their family like me i was like okay well i need to get my life on track and that being going vegan four years ago was like one of the ways that i that i attempted to do that so what you're saying is when you make your portobello mushroom you're leaving out the garlic salt no because listen (laughs) one thing about me i can make anything vegan you know what i'm saying and that's that's another thing like that's kind of like the tagline for my channel. It's like, I can make anything vegan because I think when I say people are, when I tell people I'm vegan, about vegan, I can't eat nothing. I'm like, I can't eat anything. I mean, there's some stuff that I don't really, some stuff be going too far. Like, I'm not going <laughs> to eat a vegan steak. You know what I mean? I'm not going to eat like a thing of wheat flavored like steak. You know what I'm saying? But, <laughs> but like, you can make, I can make anything vegan and I kind of push the boundaries on that, on that. And I'm like, I, I like to cook before I went vegan. So, figuring out how to do stuff differently this time around and make stuff actually taste like that. I'm like one of the, one of the claims, like one of the main Chicago staples, you can have, you have to any like joint you go to South side of Chicago, get you a piece of puff. Right. It's a, basically a calzone, but it's fried. Mm. Right. That jumpy be like two ninety nine at any spot. It's several mild sauce. And it's like, I made that vegan. It tastes just like how I remember it tasting. So it's like, Anything can be made vegan, and black people are really like exploring that stuff. And you know, it's, it's 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 fun. And I feel like I'm on a wave. Like people are, everybody's like, "Oh, let me try going vegan. Let me try doing this." So it's cool. Yeah, Delaney, you mentioned taking away butter, but you have added something into your life, which is Clubhouse. Now, I've I've already laid out Clubhouse for the listeners uh, a little bit in this opus, but one of the things I wanted to get uh, your feedback on um, is breaking into non-classical black spaces. It seems like Clubhouse um, is the really, uh, is, is ripe for the picking when it comes to exposing other black folks to the things that we talk about, some of the um, the issues um, that we face. Do you see this new form of social media as what's gonna, um, how can I say, really push the needle on what we're doing specifically black classical musicians is this our pathway to non-classically trained black people who want to engage what we're doing i think there are some ways that it that it can help us um there are certain you know if you haven't been on clubhouse the rooms are like titled certain things so like of course people gravitate towards things that they see um so if you say this is the classical musicians room we're probably only going to get classical musicians but there are other rooms like garrett and i were in a a room for like black podcasters and in like radio uh, people. So we were able to find that common ground and kind of promote classically black and triloquy in those spaces. And it's sometimes it, it's a little difficult because there's so many people um, on Clubhouse too. So it's, um, and although we did both get a chance to speak, like um, it's a, it's a little difficult, but I think this has been the, the, I guess most efficient way that I've seen so far of like breaking into the other spaces um, because classical music can be such a bubble Um, and even black classical music can be such a bubble. And even though we all have, you know, people outside, like 
you know, of classical music, pretty much the only people I'm I'm thinking of that I know outside of classical music are like childhood friends, like 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 way 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 back childhood before I went to art school, or um, my family, like, <laughs> yeah, and that's yeah. pretty that's pretty much it. So um, it's a little difficult, like how Katie was saying about the vegan thing. It's a little difficult to get people to see your vision of classical music too, because when we did. A, Ooh, I don't remember when we did this, but when we did the our little web series, Put Me On, where we talked to people that were not classical musicians. And we were trying to get my sister to, you know, vibe with some Rachmaninoff. We got, we put some William Brand Steel for her. We did, you know, a, a variety of things. And she was just like, see, I don't hear all that. I feel like you're putting all that onto this. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like the way we were, the way we mm. were like dancing with it. And, and like, we, oh, did you hear what that tuba did right there? And like all of that, like, she's like, I feel like you're adding all of that. I just, ah. <laughs> just feels like, you know? So it, um, that's one thing that I've noticed over time is the way that we hear classical music and then the way that other people who are not classically trained hear classical music. And how can I put myself back there to, edit the way that I try to make that connection with them because I realize that like I'm I'm a, I'm a bass player my ear is going to gravitate to the bottom of the orchestra so I'm like you hear when they did that swell right there and in the second bassoon he did that boop, 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 boop. like and they're like we don't know what you're talking about so <laughs> like um, it's, it's a sound yeah <laughs> I have to see a like, sound. <laughs> we, were talk- we were talking to uh Katie's cousin and I was like yeah you hear but the you know the first violin is we're it was the Mendelssohn octet and I was mm-hmm. the first violin you know like clearly it's like above everyone else and I'm like there are eight string instruments in this piece how would she know which one is the yeah. first violin yeah there are four violins in this piece. So I think that's going to be key for me to like work through where I can bridge that gap. That's going to be key for utilizing Clubhouse for what, you know, it can do. Cause there are definitely spaces, um, spaces for like just content creators, people who love black culture and black music, um, to get together. And we are, unexpected in that space i feel like a lot of times when you say these are black musicians or uh we're talking about black music they're not expecting us to be there so it's Mm -hmm. it's nice that we have this open um you know sort of you know anybody can go into the room where uh we can be there and and kind of you know take people by surprise and bring them into our world the good thing one of the really great things about the clubhouse app um, and as crowded as it gets is you have to really get good at saying your little piece in 30, 45 seconds and really getting them to understand what you have to say. But when I'm waiting on my turn to speak on that app, I think about all of these conferences where, you know, you uh, the line at the comment mic, you know, when conferences, <laughs> when conferences go back in person, I'm just going to begin every session standing at the comment mic. And, and if, if, if I end up not having a question, I'll sit down, but, 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 you know, I, I, I've, i mentioned all that because everybody wants a platform. Everyone has a lot to say and everyone's perspective is very valid, but it can be difficult to set yourself apart. When you talk, I thought it was very interesting when you said that, um, your family member was talking about how we apply certain conversations or things to these sounds that they're hearing. Um, I think that's why I always approach it from the historical historical context when I have to give a little 30 45 second pitch one of the first things I say is okay look the first black person to earn a 
master's degree in the United States, was a black woman who was a classical composer. And, I, you know, talk about Nora Holt and, and all that sort of thing, just as an entry point for them, for them to understand that, yes, you have a connection to this. Classical music mm -hmm. is something that you are related to, even if distantly. It's just the challenge of, you know, like veganism, getting us getting us in the room and, and, and getting <laughs> us to sit down, you know, but, you know, yeah, we're, we're, we're getting there. Sorry to cut you off, but I think no, I think that's important too because I, I was listening to Jamel Hill's podcast and she, she was talking whatever week that was the the joint down in Houston, what's that place called the oh, you know talk about the, the one you know talking about yeah yeah the that restaurant <laughs> yeah that restaurant oh and a woman was called. a woman was twerking and they oh, the black man kitchen, asked him to leave true kitchen okay yeah. and um Jamel was saying like what everyone was saying about how like you you created an atmosphere for black people to be comfortable and be themselves and that's when they start acting like acting comfortable we start we we feel Being safe black. we feel like we are we feel black you know what i'm saying we feel like we are comfortable and these spaces aren't these spaces aren't, we already know this, aren't welcoming to Black people. And I feel like we really want to see a shift in classical music. We will create space for Black people to feel like they can be Black people and not have to put on and not have to, because um, that was so confusing about that True Kitchen thing. It's like, you got the music, you got the drink, like, come on, man. The Henny slushies. slushies. <laughs> come on. Like, it's that Black. <laughs> That happened again today, actually. My friend who, uh, she went to North Carolina A&T in Greensboro, and they have a place just like that who just posted a, 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 no hoodies, no, uh, no like, this, this, and that. All, all, a lot of stuff that, mm -hmm. you know. We're, we still um, we still in the middle of a panorama, right? That just, part. Oh, no, just, it, don't, it don't exist. It. In, it don't exist if you don't <laughs> want it to exist. Because you're right. The, pan parts, the, the parabola now don't exist in Atlanta or Memphis. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I don't exist South in Memphis either. Oh, that's too bad. <laughs> the, not the jam telling me a couple weeks ago. Oh, y'all, we have to wear masks. I was like, now, <laughs> like month, <laughs> month eleven. <laughs> now, I'm paying for it and not going. I'm just looking dumb, but. <laughs> yeah, it it, is, it only exists if you think it exists. Well, Katie, yeah. you know, when you talk about uh, creating those spaces where black people can be black, where black people um, can be comfortable, I think that's the perfect segue into the institution that the two of you have created. The um, the I want to say, is it is a, uh, it's a late, it's not Institute for Black, it's the... International. international i don't know why the word internet I'm, I'm forgetting about the diaspora here you see the international <laughs> society for black musicians um question number one do we need another group what why why is the international society for black musicians needed because it's on his blackness and that's that okay <laughs> No, <laughs> no, uh, no, but but expound upon that because you know, in again, in this year with George Floyd, Breonna Taylor in the backdrop, it seems like everyone is trying to create something or do something in response. So yeah, uh, again, what is it about the International Society for Black Musicians that's really bringing something different to the to the ecosystem? Yeah, I think I, I have seen that too lately. A lot of people um, have been creating more. Oh, here's this podcast. Here's this group that, and we do this. And and I have had to, you know, kind of sit back and be like, okay, so how is this different from what they're doing and mm -hmm. what they're doing and whatever. And um, one thing, you know, that first of all, that did come up when we were conceptualizing the ISBM was 
we we had to look at other organizations that people might relate us or compare us to and say what what is it that made us want to start this because in every organization that we pulled up we have been involved with in some sort of way so obviously something something was i don't want to say lacking as in they're failing at what they're doing mm-hmm. but but you, no one institution can be one thing to everybody you know mm-hmm. I mean, it could be everything to everybody so we had to look at what are the things that um that we are, uh, that we're, where are the gaps that we're filling, basically. Um, and I don't want to say, on one hand, when I was looking at people bringing together all of these different organizations and, and, um, and establishing all these different organizations this year, I was thinking, okay, how is that different from them? And how is that different from them? But on the other hand, um, a lot of, a question that we've got a couple of times about classically black is, will you ever expand to include people who are not black? Hmm. And, um, and you know, when will you bring other people in? And, um, I think that I kind of stopped questioning as, um, questioning these institutions as much, these newer ones coming in, because I think the one of the first things that people question when they see something for black people is like, how can you expand it? Or how can you bring other things in? Because there's already something for black people. So what else are you going to do? Mm-hmm. And it's like, but we still have so many black people that need support and that need community. And I don't think that anybody is going far, far enough right now. So I feel like the fact that a lot of people are equating expanding past black people as making something better is a conversa- conversation in and of itself that needs to be had. Because um, I think that for for me, it's not who can help the most black people competition. You know, we can all help a lot of black people and it's even better that way. And, um, and it's how can we do more for black people rather than how can we do a little bit for everybody under the sun, because there's a lot of a lot of different people serving different groups, so that everybody under the sun can be helped. But I think for ISBM, we're really trying to stay true to that message of this is an organization for Black people, which is why it has a membership structure, um, which is why you know we make it explicit in the application. There is a question that says, "Are you Black?" and there is only one answer. The only answer. <laughs> is yes and it says if you are not black please sign up for our mailing list please consider donating and helping our cause like we're very you know straightforward and it doesn't have to be you know i don't feel like we need to open every black space i feel like that there are even some black spaces that are not entirely pro-black which sucks but we are trying to you know make sure that we're including the people that want to be pro-black and the black people who may not be there yet who need to be brought into consciousness you know I'm, I'm so glad you said that because when i use the phrase i'm rooting for everybody black i'm including um candace owens herman cain and i'm rooting for them to come to their senses i'm rooting oh. for them to really read to understand i'm i'm rooting for them as a, a as a person so uh, delaney I'm, I'm so glad that um y- you said that you know helping folks you know come to come to that uh consciousness uh katie i know one of the um important things about the <laughs> what what happened katie about to give us that famous <laughs> That famous, uh, that black proverb, you better than me. <laughs> Literally. Somebody got to. <laughs> or, couldn't, or couldn't be me. <laughs> um, I'm a little choked up on that, Candace. <laughs> so, 
you know, the, I, I know that the International Society for Black Musicians, Katie, is an institution that the two of you are affirming is not just for musicians who identify as classical. I wonder if you can um, speak to how how that will work and, and what what do you mean by non-classical musicians? What musicians is ISBM looking for? I think we just want all black musicians. I remember when Delaney and I were sitting down and we were like, okay, who are we going to include? Like, we got to make a list. Cause, because after that first meeting when uh, y'all uh, did what y'all did, um, we had to go back and re and restructure everything. So we're like, okay, well, we got to do soca and we got to do reggae and then we got to do jazz and then we got to do... And it was just like, it got so big and so overwhelming that literally anyone who I... We just wanted to, first of all, we want to take the focus off of classical music because th when people see Delaney and I, I feel like they see classically black podcasts, they see classically trained musicians. So it's like, and then our board is classically trained musicians because that's who we know. But the conversation, there are other classical musics, you know? So it's mm. like, how can we tap into those spaces so that this is a place where we can celebrate the, the scholarship of black music period, because that, that means so much. And we want to be in spaces with gospel artists and soca artists and West African drummers. We want to be in those spaces and how can we tap into those places? Because I feel like we just want to be as inclusive to black people as possible. Yeah. Yeah. You know, um, you touched on this earlier Delaney, but I'm, I'm going to be a little direct with it to the both of you. So, Black people, especially uh, Black classical musicians, we need our own spaces. That is needed. We also have accomplices in the field, people who are really ride or dies for us, white folks that are really ready to uh, ride or die, you know, and that's not me giving um, uh, tickets to the cookout or giving white uh, white trophies as much as it is just me speaking, you know, to my own experiences and the work that I do, certainly, you know, on, on Triloquy. How do you approach the issue, legal or otherwise, of white folks only being able to be um, involved with the International Society for Black Musicians on the peripheral. I I is there legal implication there? Is there research or reading that you had to do to prepare yourselves to take that very direct stance? I think um, I see it kind of similar to, to what it was when we created a Black Students Union at Eastman. We are not going if you come into the room we're not going to forcibly remove you you know but the reason why our application for ISBM is so direct is so that you have to sit there and face to face acknowledge that this is a space that black people have made for themselves and I am going to take it upon myself to intrude even though they have asked me not to be here you know i think that it's very important that people sit you know with that because at the end of the day We've made it accessible to join ISBM. So if you fill out an application um, for ISBM and that will add you to like our list, our members list, um, and you're white, you will be on that list. But um, and we haven't encountered, you know, what would happen if we actually saw like, oh, this person is actually is actually white. But like when we started the Black Students Union, um, there was something I ran into that with um, who was over uh, student activities at Eastman saying, like, we got to make sure that we emphasize that this is not just a space for black students. And I'm like, but it is a space for black students. Mm -hmm. uh, it's black students union. So for black students to unionize. <laughs> 
at the school that is that is mostly white but also at black students union events we have white people uh coming in and supporting and they might attend a meeting they might just attend an event like you know so we we want in the future for there to be public events for ISBM where anybody can come and participate, but we do want to make sure that we are doing enough to offer exclusive resources to our, um, to our membership. Um, but I think that the most that we can do like legally is just <laughs> present people with this very straightforward statement that says that this is a group for black people to, um, to, you know, congregate and be together and um, share resources. And if you want to be violent enough to to openly uh, <laughs> <laughs> just openly disregard that and say, "Oh well, I want to be here and I want to be white in your face," then like, <laughs> what what you're reminding me of, you know, to quickly go back to Clubhouse. Every day, I'll see at least one room that says "Sisters Only." or black women only or something along those lines as much as i want to click that button i think back to moments like <laughs> these in which i acknowledge that there need that that we need black spaces you know to to do that uh women's spaces you know a, 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 x y and z so i i don't know it, it can be a difficult conversation to traverse especially considering that we got a whole bunch of white folks face to look at as soon as we go back to work or as soon as we go to rehearsal or whatever so it can be even you know more challenging at times to uh to to take that stance katie how do you um how do you approach having to answer for that stance, ISBM being truly a black space, not a, a space that celebrates diversity, but a space that celebrates blackness. I think that at the time of, of being in collaboration with Delaney for this, I think it's like a good personal time for me because I feel like if I were to venture on this project maybe four years ago, I, I wouldn't be able to say that. But now it's simply like, we just need our own stuff and it's like if you really supported black people and and what and what they were doing and what we're trying to accomplish and you would understand that and if you if you don't understand that then i feel like i feel, I feel like it's anti-black i feel like you you can literally drop a pen in history at any moment and see what people have inflicted upon black people yesterday tomorrow <laughs> any any moment and it's like for you to be offended by us wanting to congregate as black people then i don't i really don't have i don't know what to say to you you know and i i'm i'm hopeful that the well actually there might be a couple of white people in my um who i have to be in contact with that might not understand that but that's not for me to explain because if it, it's really like we in 2021 now you know what i'm saying i don't know how else to explain that to you and to go further it's like yeah we accept like going through the donation list, it was like, it was really amazing to see why people who I know and trusted who who understood this concept, like this is a space for black people. And at the very end of the day, black people have money too. So if that's what we gotta do, that's what we gotta do. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Um, I'll put myself out there, you know, just for the folks listening, just to reaffirm what Katie and Delaney are saying. Um, I, I, I don't put my personal business out there a lot, but I am in a relationship with a white man. We've been together for four years. Obviously, um, I partner uh, creatively and business wise with Scott. And one of the reasons why I think, you know, and shout out to Evan, who mixes Triloquy. One of the reasons I think um, that accomplice, uh, accomplice ship, accomplice, you know what I'm trying to say, being an accomplice. <laughs> 
the the reason why I I trust the people the the white people in my life that I trust is that when it comes to things like these they understand its purpose. You know, my boyfriend mm-hmm. understands that sometimes I need to shut the door and talk to the black person who is over here or or on the phone. You know, Scott understands that some conversations don't uh, require his input as much as I value it. You know, in black spaces, sometimes we have to center ourselves. So, you know, for the for the white people listening, I hope that um, you can handle it. And if you can't, well, just stick on. Hang on here for the triloquy. But before we get into the fourth movement, <laughs> uh, Delady and Katie, I wonder if y'all uh, um, uh, tell us a little bit about uh, what's coming up on Classically Black. For folks who tune in for the very first time on the next um, episode that y'all got coming, uh, what what can they expect? What does come out? <laughs> this, okay, yeah, this will be out on Wednesday the four five six is wednesday the sixth so yeah this wednesday because y'all come out tomorrow oh yeah well um it's our new year's episode so we do a little reflection type setup and i don't know what we did after that i didn't get that far (laughs) but um... (laughs) yeah Cuscalette fluctuates in terms of how ahead or on track we are. Um, but yeah, we did. We have been doing some more like like episodes with broader topics. So now we're trying to, you know, reel ourselves back yeah. in. We were like, we were joking. We were like, we just been black podcasts this time <laughs> for the past couple of weeks. <laughs> Classically, hasn't been much in the mix. But but no, we so we paired some. Um, we're just talking about our 2020 and, and pairing some some classical music uh, pieces with that. So some a mixture of of um of some new black composers and um just some stuff that we've been listening to uh this year so that's what's on the newest episode of classically black not not classically black's production schedule being as much of a scramble as triloquies <laughs> you know i was i was editing right before we we got on this so but you know what proud of myself because normally i do it on monday morning i just get up <laughs> had to crack it on <laughs> And, and folks, folks who are podcasters understand that this don't just happen overnight from week to week. It's a lot of work. So, you know, me and Scott, definitely we take our, our hats off to y'all, uh, big y'all up, gas y'all up as much as we can. So, look, thank you again for gracing me on Triloquy. Y'all talk about me being the celebrity. I'm thinking, <laughs> Garrett, y'all let's not do this in front of your listeners. <laughs> <laughs> nah, you, I've, I've been meaning to forward you that uh, how to handle fame. Oh, the Wikipedia. Uh, yeah, I feel like you you would you need to read that. <laughs> I appreciate y'all so much. Thank you. Like I said, before we turn the mics on with Katie and Delaney, they big me up and gas me up all the time on their podcast. I'm here for Classically Black. I am so proud to be in the same space as Classically Black as podcasters because it just makes the field so fun. I Mm. love that we have colleagues in this field. I spent a lot of time sitting in front of my laptop alone by myself talking into the microphone making this content. Obviously, you have a a, a similar, mm-hmm. maybe even more pronounced uh, uh, feeling of isolation in that way. Mm-hmm. So to get to collaborate and be on the same level 
in every way. We're podcasters, we're classical music, we're racial equity. It's so much fun. And of course, we sat on the line, the four of us, just chit-chatting and laughing for another hour after the conversation. Right, right. That was fun. You're hating on the air fryer is what you're doing off mic. <laughs> right. <laughs> My inexperience and lack of luck with the air fryer is hate. Okay, then, then I'm hating. Well, tonight's dinner was brought, brought to us by the air fryer, wasn't it? It was. Nice mm. job. Well... I gotta fry a young woman here, so let's get into the third, uh, the to the final movement. I'm actually 22, so I don't know what the problem is. No, but but and he, I'm also he, Puerto Rican, so thank you. Oh, Have so you, okay. Take care of yourself. Does that justify what you did? You just heard there the words of Maya Ponceto, the today as we record this, Scott, identified woman at the middle of some drama, some nonsense involving Keon Harold and his son Keon Harold Jr. First and foremost, talk to me about, are, are you familiar with the work of Keon Harold? I'm not. Okay, so he he's a, a jazz trumpeter, has worked with all sorts of folks, uh, I believe even has a Beyonce credit, so is, is out here mm-hmm. in the field, was at a hotel, was at a brunch with his son, a woman who you heard from again, her name is Maya, felt like the son had her cell phone starts to accost the 14-year-old. I did see this. Gets the Arlo Hotel on her side. Oh, let me just let me just see the phone. Let, let, let's just clear all this up. She's tackling him, all this drama. And of course, it's not her phone. Okay, so that's just the, the baseline. I'll, I'll put the link in the description for folks who don't know what's going on here. Okay, I wanted to get into this, Scott, by asking you, with Katie and Delaney, we were talking about Sphinx, and that's where we all saw each other last. Mm-hmm. I want you to paint the picture for people who may have never been to a Sphinx conference or understand what uh, the Sphinx organization is. Paint the picture for me of what you saw as far as diversity, as far as blackness, and um, as far as a community. Most of, let's put it in context of a classical concert. And you've heard the first half and you're outside socializing, getting a drink and all that sort of thing. Normally, you would look around and it would be white folks with a few people of color dotting here and there. Reverse it. So uh, my, I, I think I met maybe six other white people. <laughs> did y'all have a little click when we wasn't looking no 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 no. because i was i'm joking i was a, no, you, you know, were with me i was too busy trying to get you from one panel to the next without <laughs> you and my security i yeah i had to shove a couple people how equitable but, of you thank you but thank you. um no what i'm saying is that um now now i did not feel like i was unwelcome i don't mm-hmm. i want i want to say that but i was the minority sure okay now this is a this is a black space you see that black classical musicians, black musicians in general, we're a community supporting each other, X, Y, and Z. Mm-hmm. What do you think would have been the situation if a young woman named Maya would have tried some shit like that in that hotel <laughs> on that weekend? Um, wrong day, wrong place, wrong thing to say, uh, everything wrong. <laughs> As you heard in the clip there, she is completely unrepentant. What Maya didn't realize, Scott, 
is that you don't have to be at the hotel where the Sphinx conference is happening or anything else for a black musician to get support from the rest of the black musicians. Mm. I mm -hmm. first saw this posted by Allison Loggins Hole. Shout out to her, a Flutronics a Triloquy guest from, uh, I think about a month ago back, the reparations of this. Mm -hmm. I saw her tweet or uh, Instagram about this story, uh, Keon Harold and his son. Uh, that grew. I saw it on more and more people's pages. And it's gotten to the point to where every black musician I know has openly engaged this conversation. Wow. There's a petition, has signed the petition. Listen, 2020 showed us some ugly, ugly things. It showed us the truth about each other. It showed us the truth about this society. 2021 did not erase all of that. This is part two. We Last year was Kill Bill part one. This is Kill Bill part two. This is where the work starts. Right. We are not we are not playing with y'all anymore. And I'm not obviously I'm not talking about you. Just Scott. go. Just go. We are not playing with y'all anymore. I really went back and forth whether or not, Scott, I should spend the time even talking about this, naming her again, Maya Ponsetto. But when I heard that clip from Good Morning America with her being so unrepentant, finding out that she has not one, but two DUIs in 2020. We're in the middle of the panoramic and she is still managing to go out here and drink and drive. Okay, one in February, one in April, I believe. And then has nerve to get the Arlo Hotel, the management there to, in essence, I heard this on a press conference today, to, in essence, as Keon Harold Jr., to show them his papers, okay? They wanted to see his cell phone just to make sure that it wasn't hers. That reminds me of show me your papers. That reminds me of what are you doing here? That reminds me of, oh, you have a delivery? Oh, it's that way. That reminds me of a lot of Picking things. Picking up or dropping off. Yeah, yeah, that is what, it, it, it is so blatant mm. and the classical musicians, the musicians in general and, and to a growing degree, black folks in general are done. I'll bet jazz Twitter went off. Oh, it, it, it all went off. When we talk about the International Society for Black Musicians that Katie and Delaney and me were talking about, talking about it being ex an exclusively black space, it's because black folks not only don't feel safe in predominantly white spaces, we see over and over again that we actually are not safe mm. in those white spaces. We can't even exist without being tapped. That 14-year-old was tackled, okay? What's going to be the, the trauma built into there in 10 years, in 20 years, passing by someone who looks like her, flinching, hoping that he doesn't get tackled for his cell phone again? It's a shame that we have to continue to deal with this and continue to talk about this. And if we have to continue to put on this trauma, we are going to be more and more direct with how we fix it, which is building and maintaining our own spaces so that we can feel safe enough to have discussion and to build the systems we need, the equitable systems to get us to that equality. Now, with all of that being said, Building those spaces and maintaining those spaces can happen quicker if we have accomplices. I know, Scott, that sometimes you can feel funny engaging the conversation of exclusively black spaces. But imagine helping us create those spaces so that we can get to that place of, of equity, eventually equality. And we're actually digging into some actual music instead of dealing 
with folks like her, you know, put her, put her, put her to jail, send her to jail, uh, send white America a message that we are not done. Uh, we, we are done with y'all rather as far as being respectable and not saying anything and trying to play by your rules when we're just going to be kept unsafe anyway. It, we're going to get there faster, Scott. We, we, if, if the as uh, how can I say the the more brick layers we have, the the calmer the seas will be when we can finally have our own spaces. You want to help us lay those bricks? I'd rather help you mix the metaphors, but sure, yeah, I'll I'll, <laughs> I'll, I'll go along. <laughs> I don't want to lay bricks either. Okay. To be fair, but you know what I mean. I do. Thank you all for listening. See you next week.